Bible worm, Bible worm, reading the Bible with Bible worm. Welcome to Bible Worm, getting to the core of the biblical text. I'm Dr. Robert Williamson, professor of religious studies at Hendricks College and theologian in residence of Canvas Community in Little Rock. And I'm Dr. Amy Robertson, Director of Lifelong Learning at Congregation Or Hadash in Sandy Springs, Georgia. We're here every week to discuss the biblical text, both as biblical scholars and as people of faith, one Jewish and one Christian. This week, we're reading Matthew 20, 1-16, often called the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, in which the kingdom of heaven is said to be like a landowner who pays the laborers a full day's wage, no matter how long they've worked. We wrestle with the abject unfairness of this wage system and empathize with the workers who have labored a long day in the hot sun. Yet we also marvel at the generosity of the vineyard owner who gives everyone what they need for the day, no matter how much work they've done. Maybe we think in the kingdom of heaven, people are not rewarded for the labor they provide, but rather receive what they need to live a full and abundant life. If we read ourselves as the landowners, this becomes a lesson on how we should conduct our own economic practices, not only paying fair wages, but giving generously until everyone has enough. And if we read God as the landowner, then this becomes a parable about God's radical and endless generosity that welcomes more and more people into the kingdom and treats us all as people of dignity and worth. It's a beautiful and troubling text. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Amy, how are you this week? I am, okay, the The full answer is like, mm, like fair to middling. It's a little, <laughs> it's a little rocky in the world of Amy. However, I got a very, very good and important idea for myself and for society the other day, and I would like oh. to share it with you. Yeah. Are you familiar with NPR's Little Desk concerts? I am, yeah. So like you you have Citadel. I, I mean, I, I actually, I don't, I don't really watch them, but I don't know. All these, like, I feel like people have been, like, discovered. They send in these videos yeah. of themselves, like, playing just in a totally chill environment with a desk. Like, the Indigo Girls played one recently. They have already been discovered. But, like, it's, it's like a thing. Yeah. And they've just opened up the competitive field for this coming year's little desk concert, I guess, contest. I don't know. They're going to choose someone to be on it. And remember that amazing, amazing piece of music that I wrote like early in the pandemic, the internet is broken. (laughs) Yeah. I forgot about that. It was so like of the moment, like it had two ukulele chords in it because I didn't know how to play ukulele, but what else do you do during a pandemic except learn two chords? And it was this very That's coming back to me now. Yeah. ballad that I would sing whenever the internet went out because the level of stress in my household whenever we lost internet was like, I was in a meeting and my spouse was in a meeting and the kids were supposed to be in school and all of a sudden everything is, <laughs> yeah. you know, whatever. So then we would run oh, and get our days. ukuleles and sing. So I think that, I think this is the moment for me to become an internet <laughs> phenom. Yeah. Through NPR, which is how that happens. Yeah, I love that. Don't you think I should submit that? I should I think that would be amazing. I think it would be (laughs) wonderful. And I remember that we had lots of responses to that where people would like, you know, comment or whatever that like, oh, Amy's song was amazing. Like in our little world here, in the little Bible worm world, it it moved people. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it, it is a very moving true to life story. However, then I would, it, when I won, which I obviously would, yeah, they would invite me to come give a concert and be like, oh, I don't have any other songs. That's <laughs> 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 the only thing I have. Yeah, you have a whole group, you have a whole music career, Amy. Like you're, a, you're a, <laughs> I have to write some more real quick. The genres are very different, I suppose, between. I'll write a new one called Fair to Midland. <laughs> Fair to Mid- Did you get that saying from me or is that something you say independently of me? I got it from Oregon Trail. Oh. oh, I wonder that where was I got one it from. of the one maybe of the I got ways it from you. you could be. Oh, maybe you got it I've, from Oregon Trail. Maybe I, maybe I, I mean, I never played Oregon Trail, oh. so I didn't get it directly from there. But like, I say fair to Midland like fairly often when people ask me how I am. 
and I don't know. I thought it just came from my upbringing or something, but I did not grow up on the Oregon Trail. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. Amy, I love your idea. I have two counterpoints. Counterpoint Mm. one is I think the desk is actually tiny and not just little. Tiny desk. Tiny desk. (laughs) (laughs) It's a tiny desk. Which makes it sound less intimidating. You might have said tiny desk. I think you said little desk. No, I think I said little desk. I think I have. I have was imprecise in my branding yeah. of this yeah. competition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, think I was right. just thinking about that because we were, you know, just last last week we were doing the Ash Wednesday text about micro people. <laughs> and so I have like sizes in my head. I'm like, oh, no, I think uh-huh. it's tiny. Don't. My yeah. other counterpoint is you suggested that maybe you could become an internet s- sensation. And I would like to propose that you, in fact, already are an internet <laughs> sensation. <laughs> Here we are on Bible Worm. I mean, there's probably like seven people listening to us right now. Sensational. We're influencers. <laughs> we don't need no tiny desk. My daughter went to a um, concert last week at, at our synagogue and was writing like, uh, sort of like in the in the parlance of the TikTok world, was writing what she thought of all the soloists. And they were all positive. She only gives positive reviews. But oh, so they nice. were so funny that I, I kind of want to reach out to these, like, really quite renowned singers and say, would you like to hear a TikTok rendition of, you know, a positive review of your performance at our synagogue last week? Because <laughs> I'm going to share one with you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That would be I love that she only does positive reviews. I mean, that makes me so happy. Not necessarily of the dinners that I make, but of you know, <laughs> in that context. Yeah, that's so sweet. Lover, not a fighter. Yeah. Okay, Amy. So today, sitting at our regular size desks, we're going to read Matthew 20, verses 1 to 16 together. This is a really nice parable of Jesus. One of It's actually one of my more favorite texts, I think, in the New Testament. I don't know. We'll have to see as we go. But I... I just, I like it. I think there's a lot. It's like your positive reviews. I think there's lots of positive things that one can maybe take out of this this parable. Oh, good. Good. I hope so. Now it's going to be like the most depressing podcast no. we ever did. I mean, how bad can it be? That's a bad question yeah. to ask. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. So uh, we are in the second Sunday of Lent. We uh, have done our special Ash Wednesday episode on the lost sheep and the micro people. And now... Uh, and then we last time we were talking about that oh that complicated text about asking people mm-hmm. to leave your community and also forgiving people and endlessly. also forgiveness and how yeah. yeah and it was just it was messy it was messy <laughs> yeah in a way that you know lint is messy and also trying to live out the kingdom of heaven on earth <laughs> is also messy and so i mean probably fair enough here we find ourselves in matthew 21 to 16 is there anything you think we need to I mean, there's lots of interesting stuff in Matthew that we're not talking about. And we we actually moved very slowly through the beginning of Matthew and lingered in the Sermon on the Mount for quite a while. And now we're kind of racing through Matthew. I mean, it's not racing compared to the way we <laughs> deal with, say, Genesis. But, you know, mm-hmm. we're, uh, we're accelerating. Anything in particular you think we need to talk about to get us to today's text? Or do you, do you think it kind of stands on its own? I mean... I think it kind of stands on its own. You know, it's in the context of all these different teachings that really have a wide range of subjects. As you mentioned, we were talking about what to do when there's a community member who's really causing harm to your community. Then we talked about forgiveness. Chapter 19 that we didn't read talks about divorce and then (laughs) tells that story of that we read in the other Gospels of the person who wants to get into the kingdom of heaven and has yeah. has done all your basic things but wants the like, you know, bonus point or whatever. And Jesus says, Well then sell all your stuff. And he says, Oh, right. oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I, don't like that. I don't like that answer. So I, I mean, I feel like this is just sort of picking up again with with the next t- I don't I don't have I don't have anything in particular that I think we need to know. Do you yeah, have- no, I think that's I don't. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And, uh, you know, one of the nice things about parables is they kind of stand on their own. And it's interesting to think about where they're, you know, where they are in context. But, you know, the parable, I I think we can just discuss as a parable. Uh, This is going to be another parable of what the kingdom of heaven is like, which we've 
been talking a lot about that, even all the way back to the Sermon on the Mount in some sense. Like this is what it's like to live a righteous life, to live the live out the kingdom on earth. And then we had those parables of the weeds, and then we had who's the greatest in the kingdom, and we got the talk about the little child. And, you know, um, so this is continuing sort of a theme about what is the kingdom of heaven like? And just to remind ourselves that we've been working on that idea as having both a present earthly component that contrasts to the kingdom of Rome, and also the sort of eternal component when the kingdom comes in its fullness. And we've been kind of trying to figure out how do you read the text with a, with a foot in both of those, like mm-hmm. both the completion of the kingdom yet to come, but also the inbreaking of the kingdom into the world. You know, Jesus prays in the, in the Lord's Prayer, which we talked about in the summer, uh, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And that's kind of, I think, what we're trying to trying to work on is what is the kingdom going to be like? And then also, what does it look like when we live it out here and now? Yeah. So we're in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. This parable is sometimes called something like the, the CEB that I'm reading titles it the workers in the vineyard or the laborers in the vineyard. You'll sometimes see it. Amy Jo Levine, one of the things that I learned from her, which I really love, is if you retitle parables, you can often see different things in them. They, the title sometimes sets our expectations for what we're going to see. And so maybe we'll play around with that idea. If we retitled it, what might we uh, take from it? We're in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. Who's Jesus talking to? I think the last time it said who he was talking to, it said his disciples. But Yeah, I think that's right. But it seems like they're, at least in the last chapter, are in a somewhat public place because some random person came and asked him that question about how do I get eternal life? So I don't know. Who, that's a good question. I don't know who's listening to him talk right now. In verse uh, 1933, or sorry, 1923, we get Jesus said to his disciples. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's, I think you're exactly right. That's the immediate audience, but maybe this is a more public, more public thing as well. Mm-hmm. But he's addressing the disciples anyway. What, to me, that's important because sometimes things have a different edge to them if he's talking to the scribes and Pharisees versus if he's talking to mm. his disciples. And so how do we contextualize what he's saying? You know, and one other thing you asked me about context and I said I have none, but here's one thing. <laughs> the verse right before this chapter is many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Yes. And then that's how this parable basically ends too. That's right. So it sort of is like maybe this parable is all in a way explaining what what is that? What might that look like? What does that mean? Mm. That's really helpful, Amy. And because the thing we had just were talking about in chapter 19 is about giving up one's possessions and sort of how does one work? Like what do one's possessions and how you think about your economic status have to do with your participation in the kingdom? So you got the story of the rich man and then the disciples saying, look, we gave up stuff. And then Jesus says that. And then this, that, that helps me with this because this is also going to be about economics in a, in a yeah. I mean, an important way. A really different way of thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we're going to come back to that reiteration so that that connects to what came before. That was really, that was super helpful. I appreciate your, appreciate your making that connection. Okay. I'm going to start in 20 verse one, and I'm going to read through verse seven. And I am in the common English Bible. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After he agreed with the workers to pay them a denarian, he sent them into his vineyard. Then he went out around nine in the morning and saw others standing around the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. And they went. Again around noon and then at three in the afternoon, he did the same thing. Around five in the afternoon, he went and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you just standing around here doing nothing all day long? Because nobody has hired us, they replied. He responded, you also go into the vineyard. Okay, Amy, let's just start with this first little moment in the text when he goes out and hires the original workers. Do you have just like an image in your head about like how you picture where they are, what they're doing? Why are those guys out there? Mm. That's a really interesting question. What I, what I picture, and I don't think I even had realized I was picturing this, is, you know, there are areas around where I live that mm-hmm. early in the morning, if you drive by, there are there's always a group of men standing 
in a parking lot. Yes. Um, in my community, they're usually Latino men who my understanding is that they are looking for a day's work and that, and that you know, different either landscaping companies or construction companies or someone will come by and say, I need people who have this skill set and then we'll take them to a job for the day and pay them, pay, you know, pay them for the day's work. So that that's that's what I'm picturing. I'm not sure what the biblical version of the Home Depot parking lot is, but yeah, no, I really love that connection, Amy, because I think it like takes this parable and it connects it to our own experience, like really, just I mean, straight out of the gate. I remember that in Atlanta. I think I think maybe in many places it's the Home Depot parking lot. Atlanta also had some labor pools where you could go and, you know, there's just like, here's the place in this part of the city where you go. And Mm -hmm. if people need a day worker, you come. But I love that connection because it's, you know, people who are going to the labor pool or the Home Depot parking lot, they're there because they need work, because they need to feed their families, because they're not on anybody's payroll, right? You would would much rather be a salaried employer of a construction Mm -hmm. company then standing in the Home Depot parking lot, hoping that someone will pick you up for the day. And so that helps me sort of get in the mindset of these workers. They've got families at home, like they need to feed their kids. They're not in anyone's employ. And so there's a vulnerability about it, I think in the ancient world, yeah. as in the modern world. Yeah. The other piece that you were reminding me about, just talking about, you know, you get picked up from the parking lot and you sort of hesitated when you were like, and people pay you. And I, I don't know quite what was going on in your head, but. I mean, what was going on in my head is I realized, like, I don't actually, I don't know how any of that works. I've never, I've never been involved, you know, like I've never been involved as a worker or a hirer in that yeah. situation. So I know someone who's a property manager and, they, you know, she just said she would pay them at the end of the day. But I don't know when they agree upon what that, that I don't know how that works. But you're right. It yeah. is an incredibly vulnerable position yeah. to be in as a worker. I can't even imagine getting in some random person's car and they're taking you to some work site. Like, yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. No, that's exactly it. And, you know, there are certainly people who pick up day laborers and pay them fairly and treat them well and drop them back off where they said they would drop them off. There are also people who will exploit day workers, certainly in the modern world, I imagine in the, in the ancient world. And, you know, I have Friends here who tell stories about, you know, they get picked up in the morning, they work a day, and then they don't bring them back to the city. Or they charge them, you know, I'm going to pay you $10 an hour, but then I'm going to charge you $40 for driving you to the site and back. So you're actually only making half what I said I was going to pay you. Right. And so you're at the mercy of the person that you're working for. And I'll pay you at the end of the day, you know. I can't, I'm not going to pay you up front so that we don't have to deal with all of this stuff. I'm going to pay you at the end of the day. So there's a trust level that is involved there that may or may not be warranted. What this guy says he's going to do is to pay the workers a denarian. Is that what the, does the NRSV have that translation? The NRSV has that as a note that that's what the Greek literally says, but it translates it to the usual daily wage. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, more helpful, honestly, than it's funny that the common English Bible normally is trying to make things very usually, clear. Yeah, usually the common English Bible is more helpful in that in that way. But. Yeah. So a denarian was the usual day's wage. And so what he has offered is a fair work. Like mm-hmm. you work for me for a day, I'll pay you for a day's work. I don't know what else there is to say about that. But I mean, if you trust him at, that he's at his word, like this is a very fair deal that he has, right. that has made for them. Right. Not ridiculously generous, not taking advantage. This is, yeah, it's fair. Do you make anything of the early in the morning? Like we've this this parable is going to move through times throughout the day, and like I mean that's going to have an effect a, a later in the parable. But I'm just curious about like this mm-hmm. is the first like you you sort of have the image that it's like daybreak and things are just yeah. getting started, and these folks are already out, the landowners yeah. already out. Yeah, I feel I guess early in the morning makes me think there must be a lot of work to do, and. The laborers are serious about getting work for the day. It's sort of like the early bird catches the worm. Right. And also maybe the hirer is serious about getting laborers who are serious about working. Right. So like this is an industrious group. Yeah. That has come together in the early hours would be my guess. I have a colleague at Hendricks who 
most of us hate teaching eight o'clock classes, but he teaches eight o'clock classes, only teaches eight o'clock classes if he can work it out because he gets the most, like the students in his class are the ones who really want to be in his class. Interesting. They're not just like, ooh, there's a class at 10 and I'd like to sleep till 930. Yeah. And so I'll take your class. So yeah, there's something about early morning that just seems like, yeah, like the people who really want it. I'm not an early morning person. I am now. I would rather not be an early morning person. Mm -hmm. My whole life, I've been a late night person until my my youngest gets up. He's getting up (laughs) every morning. The latest he's gotten up in like the last month is 5.30. And so. Oh, that's early. It's rough. Yeah, I haven't even had my coffee yet. Mm. Anyway. All right. So the word that's used here, landowner, in the Greek, oikodespates, uh, landowner, I mean, it works. You could also, tra- how does the, does the NRSV translate it as landowner? Yes. The It could also be the householder or the word oikos can also be a reference to the economy. Like, mm. you know, um, and uh, the despotes is um, master or ruler or something like that. So, I mean, landowner, I think is nice, but I don't really relate to landowners. Like, I mean, I own some land, but. Like I mow the grass. It's not. It's not like the land. Mm-hmm. But the if you translate it into like a ma- the master of the economy or something like that, mm-hmm. to me that changes the sense of it because it's the people with the power to disperse yeah. money to hire yeah. labor. It's like people with capital. Yeah, maybe would be a modernizing way. I don't yeah. know if that changes anything in how we think about the parable. That's really. It do, I mean, it does, it does a little bit for me, which really will sort of just circle, circle back at the end. Because when I first hear that at the beginning, I think of the ways that, you know, within our earthly systems, those people tend to behave yeah. with, a, with an, you know, an element of greed and self-interest. And then, well, at the, we can talk about the end at the end, but, but the landowner, the person with power does retain that power to do what they think is right, not what you think right. is right. <laughs> right. That's exa- yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. And even if it's not out of a place of greed, like just an, like out of a place of, you know, they want to use their money efficiently for what, you know, yeah. they want to pay for what they're getting or something. Right. And they have the power right. to do that. Whereas fairness, the, fairness carries the day. Yes. And the laborers here don't have that power. Like they also want to get paid for what's fair, but they don't have any control over it. And so we yes. have a power differential clearly. Yeah. about the economic transfer. So the next time the landowner comes is at nine in the morning, which makes me think that the first time was probably around six. He's coming every three hours or something like that. Mm-hmm. When he gets there at nine, there are other people. The CEB has standing around doing nothing. Is that, is that what the RS, Yeah, the this is standing has? idle. Oh, yeah. The Greek is argos, which... I mean, my little dictionary I'm using here says idle, lazy, useless, or ineffective, <laughs> which is not exactly where I was going. I was going to go for like, they just aren't, aren't working, but there is a suggestion. I mean, I guess that there's not saying the people are useless. Uh, it's saying that what they are doing. So they're just standing around in the Home Depot parking lot. There's nothing. Yeah. It's not that they're useless people, but that their current activity is useless. Is that how you read it? Or how do you read it? Yeah, I mean, so this is where I, I don't know if we should be in the Home Depot parking lot anymore because it says the marketplace. And so I just picture people who are, you know, they're in a public space. They're not really doing anything. I mean, what's interesting to me once we get to this next layer is it is not clear to me that these people are looking for work. They're just there. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. In the first section, they clearly – uh, you know, he goes out looking for laborers and agrees with the laborers. So, you know, and in this section, it just is sort of like, I see you are not doing anything. Why don't you come work? Oh, that made it sound like creepy and like industrialization. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do nothing. Why don't you work? No, I don't think that's what they're going for. That point is interesting that they, maybe they weren't even looking for work. They're just, they're in the Agora. They're in the marketplace. So there's, you know, like the center of town where all this stuff happens. So there's commerce happening all around. And I mean, that interaction here really is like they're standing around. So he says, you go to the vineyard. I don't know. I guess my question is, why do you think they're still there? Or why do you think they're there? 
And why do you think they aren't already working? You know what I mean? Like, did they show up later? Did, were they yeah. there at the beginning and got left behind? Are they Are they yeah. looking for work or they just want to buy, you know, a tie-dyed t-shirt or whatever? Right, are they looking for work or are they... <laughs> <laughs> or somehow I went into, like, their, like, tourists at the tourist place and they're going to buy a yeah. tie-dyed t-shirt. But I don't know if that's really what you they're do at a tourist market. place, but... I haven't been out of my house in like three years, so what do I do? <laughs> Your frame of reference is old. That's a really good question. I mean, I I think the text leaves all those options yeah. open. And yeah. it could be that they want work but didn't get any that day, or they want work and got there too late, or that it hasn't occurred to them that they can get work that way. And so they're just kind of pissing away the day in the public marketplace, like just hanging yeah. out because yeah. they don't have anything else to do. Yeah. I love that, Amy, sort of thinking about the openness of that and all the different ways that it can be open. I mean, maybe they've got a 18-month-old who gets up at 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> so like they can't get around. to the marketplace yeah. at 6 o'clock. They've got to, yeah. you know, yeah. feed the kids breakfast or... They're taking care of an elderly parent who they need to get taken care of for the day. Like there's all kinds of reasons that you could think of why someone would not have been there at six and now is there at nine. Maybe looking for work or not looking for work. I really like that possibility. And the fact that the text is not interested, like suggests that we don't like, we can imagine all these possibilities, which I think is useful, but we don't really want to settle on one because the text doesn't, isn't trying to make a point about that. Yeah. Here you are at nine. I don't care why you're here at nine. I care that you're here. Mm -hmm. And so you get to my field. It's a little weird that they, like, you don't really have an interaction, isn't it? I don't know. Maybe it's just the way the story is told. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. We didn't, for either of them, we didn't really. I guess the first one, it tells us they agreed on a daily wage in here. It It doesn't say that. It just says, I will pay you whatever is right. Yes. That would make me nervous. <laughs> it would make me nervous too. Yeah. Can you say a little more about about that? I mean, that's just like before it says the usual daily wage and so fine. But whatever is right, I mean, who is to say what is right? Like clearly in this case, there's someone with power. That's the landowner. And so the landowner is going to get to decide what is right. And yeah. usually that does not go well for the laborers, at least in yeah. modern society. Yeah. But they go. I mean, I guess if the alternative is nothing, then it seems better than nothing. Yeah. So they're trusting this person who's come and offered them labor that that he's actually going to pay them a a fair wage. And maybe they're doing the math about, you know, the day lasts 12 hours and I missed three of them. So I'm going to make 75% of a denarian or or whatever. Like we don't know what they're Mm -hmm. doing, but Mm -hmm. trying to calculate what is right. The word that's used there for right is dikaios, which is the word we've been, is righteousness. I will pay you what is righteous, which has been a key word for Matthew. Mm. And so for us as listeners, right, maybe not for the laborers because they haven't been reading Matthew with us. But for us, Mm -hmm. when we hear I'll pay you what is righteous, that should click back in our heads to the other places in this gospel where righteous has been used all the way back to Joseph, not divorcing Mary and all the way forward. So that sort of tunes our ears as listeners, maybe. But you're exactly right. For the laborers, they are simply trusting what's going to happen here. So the landowner comes back, the master of the economy comes back at noon, and then comes back at three, and the same thing happens. I'll pay you what, I mean, we assume he says, I'll pay you whatever is right. People go into the field. So all day long, you've got new sets of people headed to the field, the vineyard. And then at five o'clock, so we're almost, I mean, the whistle's about to blow or whatever. Like, I'm thinking about the Flintstones when I say the whistle's going to blow. The Flintstones. Wow. You're, I've yeah. never worked you in a place that had a whistle. or watched any new TV shows. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's the 70s. I've never worked in a place with a whistle, but that was very clearly in my head. Like, what happens at the end of the day? The whistle blows. And I was thinking, and I was like, why am I thinking that? And I was like, wait, that's a cartoon whistle. Fred Flintstone. <laughs> Anyway, you're looking at me. You're looking at me. (laughs) No, good. (laughs) In a certain kind of way. Great. It's good. Now, at this point, I just don't know what this landowner 
is doing? Like, why on earth are, is he going to back to the market an hour before quitting time to bring more people in? Like, you're starting to get the sense that something weird's happening in this parable. Like, whereas before I could be like, oh, yeah, he's industrious and he's getting up at six to get moving. And at nine o'clock, he came back just to get the next round. But at five o'clock, man, yeah. what are you up to? Yeah. As you're just reading this parable, like, do you, what do you do with that? It's interesting going through, like, I feel like it's one thing to go back at nine o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and we can say maybe there were, but like even, even just the 12 o'clock and the three o'clock, I begin to wonder like, what is going on with the laborers? Like, are, or are, are they looking for work or have yeah. they been there all day and no one is hiring them? In which case I would imagine there's some kind of sense of concern. Like they have an increasing level of concern that they're not yeah. going to not going to get hired because I mean, by noon, I would imagine the hiring is done Yeah, for the day. I would think so. So it is. And I guess, I guess there are people who are just showing up later in the day because otherwise the landowner would have caught them at noon. Right. Right. That they weren't there at noon. And I don't know. It just, it, it just raises more questions for me about not what's going on with the landowner. Like, why does he yeah. want more people to come at five? And what's going on with the potential laborers, with the people? And what's going, what is, yeah, what are they hoping is going to happen? Why are they in the marketplace? What, I, for me, I still, I don't know why, but I still read the, the landowner's question a little bit. Why are you standing here idle all day? as this sort of uh, everyone should have everyone should have work to do not uh, almost without the economic component of it almost without like mm. i assume you need money but just it is good to have work yeah and so i guess i thought that's where this story was going at this point was that yes maybe these people have lost lost that feeling the satisfying feeling that you get when you have meaningful work to do. And as I say that, I have this like critique of myself in my head, like what kind of capitalistic system is this where you have to be producing by working in someone else's vineyard and that's meaningful. And I, I don't know, I have sort of two different conversations going sure. on. Sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But by the end of the day in the text, it reads to me more like we're not talking about, the pr- the thing here is not the exchange of money. The thing here is that people may become so disconnected from a sense of their own sort of power in the world to do meaningful work that it's important that you offer that when you can. Yeah, I know. I really like that, Amy. And, you know, when I talk to people at Canvas Community or people who live on, people who live on the street, and that's one of the things that they say is, you know, over time, people, when you're on the street, people just start to look at you as though you have no value, and you start yeah. to think of yourself as though you have no value. And so for someone just to sort of look you in the eye and say, hey, you're a person who could come and do a thing with me. Like that really is important yeah. for people. Not not necessarily just like, you know, everybody ought to be a cog in the capitalist machine. <laughs> Although maybe it is that. <laughs> but just yeah. like there is dignity in being, or maybe there is indignity in sitting around all day with nothing you could do if you wanted to. And so, you know, to say, and I do think there is, you know, I think one can also read it in the Bible Worm Collaborative. One of the things that they were talking about was imagine that you were the guy at the Home Depot parking lot. And maybe we don't know for sure that these people haven't been there all day or they got there as soon in the day as they could get there for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And you're the person who needs to feed your family and you, and you haven't had any work, and how anxious that would be. Yes. So I think you can read it either either or both of those ways. These are the most anxious people in the story. They've, they needed a job all day, and they don't get one. And it's 5 o'clock. They're, they're not going to get a job now. Mm-hmm. The landowner to me is also really interesting here because, I mean, we don't get any sort of picture about what's actually happening on the actual vineyard, you know, And so why does he suddenly need more labor at five? My sense of it is that he doesn't need more labor at five. And so it's not about the labor to be done. It's about the laborers. And it's hard to imagine a scenario in which extra laborers working like one hour before sunset is going to really do very much Mm -hmm. production-wise. 
So there's something quirky now about this landowner for sure. I don't know exactly what it is, but he's not simply like following the rules of good business. He's doing he's doing something else about human dignity or about tending to the anxious laborers or or something. Hi, I'm Terry Peterson, minister of St. John's Church of Scotland in Gurick, west of Glasgow on the Scottish coast. And I am the liturgy writer for Bible Worm, which means I get to spend a lot of time listening to Bobby and Amy, and that is a great joy. It is fascinating to hear them read and talk through stories I thought I knew pretty well since I'm starting my third time through the narrative lectionary now. I always come away with more ideas than I can fit into a liturgy or a sermon, and working with them has deepened my own spiritual life as I write liturgy that follows the contours of their conversations. I appreciate that they don't shy away from the difficult parts, and that they always find connections between these ancient texts and our contemporary life. And it's fun for me to work those connections into liturgy that empowers worshiping communities to speak to and about God in new ways. If you join the Bible Worm Patreon at the Liturgy Worm level or higher, you'll have access to those liturgies and prayers that you can use or adapt, as well as early access to the podcast. Or there are other levels with different benefits, including Bible studies, access to the Bible Worm Collaborative Discussion Group, and more. Visit patreon.com slash Podcast to help Bobby and Amy continue creating this incredible resource for people of faith around the world. And now, back to this week's podcast. Anything else we want to say about the hiring part of this parable? Mm-mm-mm-mm. I don't think so. I think if you've read this section with a sense of fairness is the point which is, you know, kind of what it's setting up for the spoiler alert, the next part of the parable. Yeah. You would imagine that the people who got hired at six are going to be paid a denarian, the people at nine, three quarters, mm-hmm. people at noon and a half. Mm-hmm. The last hour people are going to get whatever, one twelfth of a denarian. And so that's what would be fair. And you and I have talked a number of times on the podcast in this Matthew series about fairness you were talking about it fairness it's not fairness or equity that's the point this that was with the lost sheep parable it's not about fairness or equity it's it's about making sure each sheep has what it needs or or something like that yeah 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 compassion versus fairness yeah so let's see how that plays out in this parable okay when the evening came the owner of the vineyard said to his manager Call the workers and give them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and moving on finally to the first. When those who were hired at five in the afternoon came, each one received a denarian. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarian. When they received it, they grumbled against the landowner. These who were hired last worked one hour and they received the same pay as we did, even though we had to work the whole day in the hot sun. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I did you no wrong. Didn't I agree to pay you a denarian? Take what belongs to you and go. I want to give to this one who was hired last the same as I give to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you resentful because I'm generous? So those who are last will be first, and those who are first will be last. Oh, Bobby, I'm usually all about giving up the fairness model, but this is this is a hard story <laughs> for me. I'm glad that you really like it. It's 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 hard for me. Can you talk through that a little bit? I'm so interested in, in where that leads you. What I know. What is your problem, Amy? The title of this next thing is "What is your problem, Amy?" <laughs> I think some of it is um, in my head. I have this this sort of modern conversation about salary fairness. Yeah, and what happens to a lot of minorities of many types when no one's talking about what other people make. And it's like, well, you agreed to your salary. So what are you complaining about? If I choose to pay this other person twice as much, that has nothing to do with you. Yeah. And this sort of evolving conversation that like, we need to be, we need to be talking about what we're making because 
people who were never who were never told to advocate for themselves are getting screwed. Yeah. Now I I real I truly recognize that is not that's not really what's what's going on here, but I can't get that I can't get that thing out of my head. Yeah. No, I think that's really important, Amy. And keeping, you know, as we try to keep the earthly side of the kingdom of heaven in mind and thinking about salary fairness and the ways that that gets exploited. I think that is super important. My, you know, my, if this, it were the case that somebody were being paid unjustly here, I don't even know quite know how to language it. Like if the people at the beginning of the text had not known to negotiate for a fair wage, then I would, then I would fully say, yes, this is a problem. But in fact, they're getting paid fairly, right? They're getting paid with their worth. A day's labor is worth a day's wage. You labor a day, you get a day's wage. So there's there's nothing exploitative there. True. It's just that now you know you could have come at five and still right. and still gotten the same day's wage. And so the unfairness is not about stinginess, it's about over generosity. But I mean it still rubs you the wrong way. And like I think this parable is still is supposed to rub you the wrong way. But that like it's not exactly I don't know. Maybe it is. Yeah, no, I, like, I, I see what you're saying. I just, I can't let go of, like, <laughs> I don't know, what is your problem, Amy? But if the people saying, like, we have been laboring in the scorching sun for, you know, 12 hours now, and, yeah, we are being paid a fair wage but again like fairness is relative and now that you've paid them 12 times higher a pay rate than you've paid us now that doesn't seem fair again like fairness is not the thing yeah I really appreciate that because you know sometimes when I read this parable I'm like you silly nine o'clock or six o'clock people like y'all just need to get over yourselves (laughs) and I love that you are like Totally on their I'm side. I'm one of the people. I'm an early bird. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. Because I mean, yeah. And yeah. But it's not, but I need, I need you to help. I need you to help, help me open up to what this text is actually trying to do. Well, I don't know. I don't know that I can do that. But I like, I mean, one of the things that I'm really appreciating about you right at this exact moment is... I mean, in academia, where I live most of my life, there is this kind of issue in which women on a college campus do a lot of extra work in sort of subtle ways that they are not recognized or compensated for. And then a lot of men like myself sort of rock up late in the day. And I mean, I I do my fair amount of work around here too, but you know, it is the sort of the way that it goes that um, when when we don't talk about fairness, than it often is. Exactly what you said. It's women and minorities who of all kinds who are come out on the short end of that stick. And so I want like I don't want to jump past that. I don't think that's what Jesus is after here. No. But I think for it's sure absolutely not. worth worth thinking about. I mean one of the notes in my um I read from the Jewish annotated New Testament and one of the notes in here is that the the issue, as I think you have have already sort of pointed to, or maybe we have pointed to in our conversation, is that the issue is not, at the end of the story, not what is fair, but what is right. Yeah. And I agree that that should be the issue, and I think that consistently has been the issue in the New Testament and also in the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. But my question is, why is it right to pay them the same? Is it because the people who came at the end of the day have a greater need? Like, are we supposed to sort of import that background? Is it because it's none of anyone else's business? Why is it right? The other issue that I think is an interesting one, and the the Bible Worm Collaborative pointed this out as well, is if the landowner had simply paid the people in the same order that he had hired them, nobody would have known the difference. Yep. Yes. So the people at the end of the day would have been like, oh, that was amazing. I got paid the full yes. day. But the beginning people wouldn't have known. That is exactly And so right. this is sort of like finger in your eye kind of thing to, to tell it backwards or to pay them backwards in the way Jesus yeah. has chosen to tell the story. You know, Amy, what this reminds me of is conversation. Do you remember? 
I think it might have been last. I don't even remember when it, they all run together now. But we talked about the story of manna in the wilderness in Exodus chapter 16. And in that story, some people go out and gather more than they need. And some people gather and mm-hmm. go out and gather less than they need. And then somehow magically, it just ends up being exactly what they need. We've also had this in the in the Lord's Prayer that we talked about this summer, give us this day our daily bread. We have had a theme going on mm-hmm. as we've read the Bible. It's not our theme, I don't think. It's mm-hmm. the it's a biblical theme mm-hmm. that what matters is that everyone in the community has enough for the day. Mm-hmm. And we we don't know why these people didn't come till five. In the manna story, we don't know why some people gathered less and some people gathered more. We just know that they did. And in some sense, this text, I think, is inviting us not to care why mm-hmm. some people came late in the day. Maybe they had legitimate reasons. Maybe they've been waiting there all morning. Maybe they went to the wrong side mm-hmm. of the labor pool where the hiring was not as good. Like, I don't know. Maybe they are lazy and they just mm-hmm. didn't get out of bed till 445. And so the claim here, I think, is those people also deserve the wage of the day. They need it. They have, they need enough for today. Now, what are they going to do tomorrow? When I read this at, when I read this at Mercy Church a few years ago, my, my friends were like, man, tomorrow I'm going to show up at five. I know. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a highly exploitable system. It is. Although what you said was so helpful to me, Bobby, because it reminded me, I think the last time we were talking, I noticed that the text is really concerned about offering forgiveness, but not so concerned about what do you do when you have caused harm. Yeah. Which is not to say it's not an issue. People cause harm. That's just not, that's not who the text is talking to right now. That's not what the text is about. And I don't know if this is quite parallel. It feels parallel in my head, but it's, it's talking to the people who have power, who have some kind of economic capacity to, or like in whatever way you have power, this is how you should use your power. It's not talking about should you or should you not get up in the morning and do work. Right. Although you could, you know, yes, when you read this story, then what time do you set your alarm for in the morning is a whole other thing. But, but maybe I can, maybe I can try to settle on that's not the point. To me, I think one of the reasons that I probably like this parable is because I want to identify with the master of the economy because that's mm. more like my social position. And when you read it that way, the message is, exa- is exactly like, don't be unjust to anyone. So somebody who earns, who works a day should be paid for the day and then be as generous as you possibly can with everyone else. Mm-hmm. Now, whether it's a smart idea to like <laughs> wield your generosity in front probably. of the people, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that part, but there's a nice message there about if you've got the resources. So this this landowner is not thinking, mm, I've only got one hour left. Like they're not really going to do anything valuable for me. So I just am not going to go back and get more people. He's not doing any of that kind of math. He's a, he's a terrible business owner in that mm-hmm. sense, paying people way more than what they have provided for him labor wise. And so there's a generosity there, a, you know, don't, don't bean count. Mm-hmm. And so I like that because to me, it's an important reminder, but I take, but I take your point from the other side. I, I love the question that you raised from the Bible worm collaborative, and I have written a similar question in the margin of my text. Did y'all come? So the question being, you know, that the owner could have been more subtle about this. <laughs> Yes. By by paying the people who came first first and, you know, and it wouldn't have sort of kind of rubbed in their face that the people who just got there are getting the same amount of money. Did you all come to anything about why, why, the, why that's not how the story goes? Well, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> but. Okay, good. Great. <laughs> but here's what I'm thinking right now is. We just had that sequence, which we said didn't matter for this parable in chapter 19, where the rich man comes and then goes away. And then the disciples say, but what about us? We've been doing this since day one. And then Jesus tells them this parable. And I mean, one way of reading what Jesus is doing is he's he's taking a little bit of a dig at the disciples 
to say, yes, you have done what you need to do. And so you are in the kingdom. You're in the vineyard. You've been paid fairly. But don't think because you got there first and did it first that you're going to be more favored. It comes back to that idea of welcoming. Like once you stop asking who's the greatest and start asking how can I welcome people in, which we talked about a few weeks ago, yeah. then now you've got it. And so this is this could be read as sort of a warning to people who got there early. Yes. Not to jealously that. guard mm-hmm, your special mm-hmm. nest. Yes, good. So now maybe it's time to move out of the parable. Yeah. And say, what are we actually talking about here? I think everything that we've been talking about is actually what we're talking about, you know, in that sense of <laughs> <laughs> good. The, uh, the kingdom of heaven on earth, I think, looks like an economics in which people are paid by what they need for the day and not by the value of the actual labor they have actually done. And that's a pretty radical idea. And I think that is very much in this text. But there is more to it than that, as you're, as you're gesturing to that now. But we're also, we've got this other sense of the kingdom and the question of like community and the question of salvation. Like those are also uh, in the, I don't know if they're in the background or the foreground. In our conversation, they're in the background. But I don't know, what do you want to think about like the eternal kingdom of heaven and the significance of that? Or do you want to think about the community of faith and, and what it, the implications are for that? I mean that I am I'm always kind of located in the community of faith because yeah that's more the world that I the the world of my imaginings and the world yeah, of my sure, yeah. of my life. So if you move this parable into that setting then what what becomes the point? You know, I can okay, so I can see a sort of, you know, just because someone comes to a set of a uh, a, a way of being in the world a, becomes a follower of Jesus or a member of the Jewish community or whatever, whatever it is later in their life does not make them a less loved and valuable part of the community. Right. Yeah. I certainly can. I can see that. And then I can let go of my economic fairness model. <laughs> I don't think you need to let go. I don't think you do at all, but I, I Yeah. The Bible Room Collaborative was thinking about something similar in terms of the way that our faith communities can, you know, celebrate the pillars of the church, the longstanding members and people who come in new, don't quite know how to fit in. They don't know who's who or what's what, or even some people thinking about celebrating. Somebody was talking about their, the stained glass windows in their sanctuary and who dedicated them and what are the names that are displayed and who were they and what role do they play? What role does the past play in your present? Which I, to me is such interesting questions. And the tendency I think among many of us is to privilege the things of the past and to privilege the tradition. Yeah. Privilege those who got there first, whether it's ourselves or, or, or someone else. Right. And this passage is guarding against that to say that the latecomers matter just right. as much. Right. Yes. Yeah. No, I, and, uh, several congregations where I've worked, the founding members of the community, it, it is hard for them not to have, uh, sort of undue influence in how things unfold. And we've had to be really intentional about like one member, one vote, like one, yes, you know, it, it has to be, or, or, the, or there's not going to be a future, you know? Right. One of the things I love about the conversation that we're having is normally the first move that people want to make when they read this parable is to say, oh, the landowner is God and the people are the, you know, coming into heaven. Mm-hmm. And the our way our conversation has gone is exactly backwards of the way this sometimes goes, mm-hmm. where you start with God and then you say like, oh yeah, there's economic implications and community implications. Here we've come the other direction. Yeah. This is saying yeah. that the kingdom of heaven is like this. Which Mm -hmm. suggests, you know, not only the way that we ought to be living kingdom values here and now, but also something about the scope of God's embrace, the scope of God's salvation, however you want to think about it. If we read the landowner as God, which I think this text is inviting us to do, Mm -hmm. it's not always the the case. The kingdom of heaven is the the landowner. I think that's just a weird weird syntax. No, the kingdom of heaven is like... The story. 
in which there is a landowner. So you read it as the kingdom of heaven is like this. A landowner yeah. went out early. Yeah. That makes sense. That's how I read that's it. Not what it. That's not what it says in my translation. It says the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like when you're reading rabbinic literature and it just says a parable and then it's and then it tells a story about a king. You know. Yeah. And yeah. To me, yeah. that's sort of the same. There's that's sort of what this is doing. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think you're right. It does not have to necessarily be the case that the most powerful person in every parable is God. But I think in this particular case, that probably is a reasonable way to read it in any case. If you put it in that register, what might this tell us about God? Where do you come out? I mean, I guess I imagine if we put it in that register, then I imagine the vineyard as sort of as as being the proverbial kingdom of heaven that right. that all of us that that needs people working for real to to bring it to be, you know, to bring it yeah. to care for it and build it. And it needs all the workers at all the times. And so right. if you come there early, fantastic. If you come there halfway through the day, we need you. If you come there for the last or you know, like that that everyone is is needed and and valued whenever they get there. Yeah. I mean, maybe if you weren't working all day and then you came in only at five o'clock when the sun has already passed its peak, you have like this crazy rush of energy and you can, okay, I'm just coming up with. <laughs> no, but that's it, actually the way that works know, in the Christian community. I don't know if it's the same in the Jewish community, but people who have just found the faith tend to be very highly mm, energized yeah. about doing the labor of the community, labor yeah. of the kingdom. And then we sort of that's over time actually, yeah. are like, oh, hum, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, we do need those five o'clock folk. For sure. I really like that way of reading it and to say there's an inexhaustible amount of work to try to um, yes. bring people to the kingdom, both now and future. And we t- all, take all comers. Yeah. And then the character of God is, is, is the God who has plenty of, plenty of work for everyone to do and also values all the laborers equally. So it doesn't matter how late you come to faith, how late you come to the work of the kingdom. It doesn't matter, you know, if you slept late this morning, it doesn't matter. Just you're invited in, you're invited into the work, you're invited into the kingdom. I think that's really lovely and equally, equally valued in quite a literal sense. Like they, these folks all receive equal value for the work that they did. And so you don't need to think the fact that I started late means that the work I've done is less valuable. It is exactly as valuable as the work that other people have done. Just making me, like, now it's rubbing me wrong. Uh, that's funny. Like, now I'm finally coming around to I like, wait, I did a lot of stuff. <laughs> and now people just pop in at the last minute and they're like, woohoo. Yeah. And I love, one of the things I love about this parable is that it's, uh, there is an image of, of a God then who is endlessly generous it rubs against me the wrong way a little bit because I sometimes feel like uh, I deserve more reward because I have labored long. Um, and so this parable exposes that in me in a way that I it annoys me, but also I find it pretty useful. Yeah. And to say like, wow, that the God that I, that I claim is a God who is endlessly generous to everyone, even the latest comer. Like that's a really, really beautiful thing. And then to say, therefore, so so also should I be. Yeah. There's a preacher, Eugene Lowry. I think he taught at Vanderbilt, maybe. Anyway, um, he has this book called The Homiletical Plot. But we watched a video of him preaching on this parable when I was in seminary. And he, he was this big man. He looked kind of like Abraham Lincoln with this, like, real deep voice. And <laughs> he said uh, that he, he was, like, giving the response of the earliest laborers. And he would he would say... We've been cheated. <laughs> so whenever I read the story, I hear his voice, cheated. I do feel, I do sometimes feel cheated, but the fact is that this parable is about God being endlessly generous. Amy, anything else we need to say about the parable as a parable? Ooh, you want to retitle the parable? You did not. That's actually a really, I mean, I don't know if I want to retitle a parable, but I think 
that where I'm coming down after this conversation is that it's really important to read this as being directed at the people in power. Yes. It, yeah. So I don't know how to retitle that parable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think so like the parable of the generous business owner or something like that. The parable of the generous landowner, economy master. <laughs> the par- yeah. It's not a very pithy parable of the one who yeah, it's not it's not not poetic but that treats you know, everyone equally yeah i'm sure aj had a good title for it i can't remember what it i can't remember no what it right aj's now. is well at least in this that's amy jillivine it says the parable of the workers in the vineyard what yes <laughs> maybe that's the nrsv's title because she digs on that pretty oh. hard oh maybe her. yeah maybe it's nrsv's like the parable of the latecomers latecomer maybe i don't know yeah so i like the question though all right, Amy. So we've talked a little bit about the way this parable connects. I actually we've talked since the very first, <laughs> the very first moments about the way this parable connects to the contemporary world. But w- when you're thinking about like what's the sort of takeaway that feels most relevant or most urgent for modern life, what what do you come up with? Okay, I will tell you what is coming to my mind now, and it is certainly because of other things that I happen to be reading, but. It's a little it it's a little bit based in Kohelet Ecclesiastes. Yeah. Which uh, one of the takeaways that I have from that book is not to think about the role of work in my life as something that I'm trying to sort of do as little of as possible, like try to get it done and then I'll get to live my life. Like it's just check off the things and then my life starts after that. But instead to find work that is meaningful to me Mm -hmm. or accept the role of work in my life and stop trying to rush through it so that something else can happen. But to like realize that all of these things, like the totality of this is, is my life and to find meaning and joy right. in that. And if I can think about it that way and think about, I mean, it's hard when it says like, we've been out in the scorching sun all day. Like that doesn't sound very pleasant. But if we think of it as a parable of people who have come to their life of faith earlier, and yes, we know that that is hard. Like that asks hard things of you, but also people who have come to that life of faith there's not another way to be that is better. Like that is that is the source of your meaning and you are you want to be there and you are ready to be there and of course it's hard, but you're not doing it for the reward. You're doing it because you actually believe that this is the way the world works and this is the only thing that makes sense. I mean, if people are really just in it for their like day's pay at the end or their right. You know, salvation at the end time or like whatever. Like if you're really only in it for that end reward, then I can see getting kind of like grabby about these things and be like, I put in more time than you did. But if you're not in it just for that and you actually, you live in that way because it is meaningful for you, then, then it's not a bad thing to have been in the vineyard longer. Like where else would you have been? You don't want to sleep late. I love that. I love that. And I love it, especially as somebody who's like the boundary between my work and my hobbies is very amorphous Mm -hmm. and because I do things that I love. And so, you know, as as this part of when I'm talking to you on Bible word, is this part of my job or is it part of my life? Right. And, Mm -hmm. you know, what would I do if I had a day off? Well, maybe I would record a podcast, (laughs) you know, like, I don't know. There's a lot on my weekends. I, you know, I pastor a community and I do, you know, and it's, I don't think of those as work. I think of them as, as life. And I think that's a really helpful way. Where else would you be? I like that. I like that a lot. What about you, Bobby? Well, I feel like I say the same thing every week and maybe it's because Jesus says the same thing all the way, all the way through Matthew. <laughs> but to me, this parable is really the, the rubbers meeting the road on this issue of how does this master of the economy treat the people who are vulnerable in his world, the day laborers who he has the power to exploit, presumably if he wants to. And, you know, the text says he's going to treat them dikaios, that he's going to treat them justly. And what that seems to mean is 
to pay them what they need for the day, mm. no matter how much or how little work they did for him. And so just that, like that level of generosity sort of being the expectation, like that's what is right. Mm-hmm. Like there's a real challenge there to say, insofar as it's in my power, I ought to be generous to everyone. And I ought to, what I ought to be valuing is that all of my neighbors should have a, enough, shouldn't have to live an anxious life about whether they can feed themselves and their families for the day. They should just know. And I shouldn't be in the business of, although this Lelander does ask why the five o'clock people weren't there, were still there at five. So I was about to say I shouldn't be in the business of asking, but this text is not particularly interested in why people showed up when they showed up. Yeah. And so I think, so then neither should I be. I also really love the image of God as being like this, that that God is sort of uh, values everyone equally, regardless of what they're able to contribute. I, I, I like that image of God much more than a God who's like counting the beans about what I did or didn't do on any given day. Here's the merit you deserve. There's a sense in, in this text in which you need to get, you need to end up in the vineyard, you know, like you need to do something, but the, the bar is a little bit low. It's, it's not like, you know, a checklist of things that you deserve certain amount of God's grace and compassion. It's if you make it at five o'clock, like you're fully in God's good graces, full reward. Like I really love that image of a God who's just looking to be generous with us. I I think that's a really, a really nice way to think about God. Yeah. Really interesting parable, Bobby. Next week, we're going to get Matthew's version of the parable of the wedding banquet in Matthew 22, 1 to 14. Luke's version of this parable is one of my most favorite texts in the whole Bible. Matthew's version, I really (laughs) struggle with. And so you're going to have to help me think about. (laughs) Ooh, I'm excited now. Although, as Amy Jo Levine also says, parables, the struggling is the point of the parables. If you're like, yeah, I love that parable then maybe you haven't read it correctly. So maybe the, maybe the struggle will, will prove Then I valuable. read this parable really well. You did. Yeah, you raised, <laughs> great, yeah. <laughs> you raised great questions about it. All right, uh, Amy, thanks for the conversation. It's yeah, always good to yeah, see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good to see you. Y'all have a good week. See you next time. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Bible Worm. If you've enjoyed this free podcast, we hope you'll help us keep it going by joining our Patreon for as little as $4 per month. You can also sign up for other goodies like early access, video lectures, weekly liturgies, and more. Visit patreon.com slash Podcast for details. Bible Worm is produced by Bobby Williamson and edited by Joel and Laura Becker. Our theme song is sung by Colin Bagby, and our theme music is The World at Large by Dano Psalms. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of our Patreon supporters for helping to make this podcast possible. Join us next time when we'll read the parable of the wedding banquet as told in Matthew 22, 1-14. Until then, keep on digging.